Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Good morning, guys. Right, all right, all right, all right. Come on in, find your spot. And if you want to open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33, this is our last Sunday in our series called Tent of Meeting, which I've enjoyed. I've, man, I've enjoyed it. And um, I'm a little bit sad to see it go, but you know, time to move on. But we're not moving on just yet. We're going to Settle in here for one more Sunday and see if God doesn't have something for us. I think he does. Exodus 33. We're going to read just a few verses this morning. Then we're going to jump to some other passages as well. But let's look at Exodus 33. This has been our core text for the entire series. Verses 7 through 11. This is what it says. It says, It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and to set it up some distance from the camp, and everybody who wanted to make a request to the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and stand at the entrances of their own tents, and they would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. And as he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. And inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And afterwards, Moses would return to the camp. But the young man who assisted him, Joshua the son of Nun, would remain in the tent of meeting. It's been our core text for the last few weeks. This is a series that's essentially about prayer. It's about meeting God. And it's about experiencing him. And that's what we want to talk about again this morning. And, and while we do that, I want to start by saying this. That, that, that prayer, is, prayer is not a duty. And, and prayer is not a lifetime sentence. We need to start with these things, I, I think. Prayer is not a duty. Prayer is not a lifetime sentence. And prayer is also not about primarily getting things done. Primar it's not about primarily getting spiritual things done. Uh, prayer is also not for the especially spiritual. Prayer is not for the religious professional. Prayer is not the territory of the specialist. It is not for intercessors or those called. In fact, you can read the Bible, there is no such thing as the gift of intercession, and there is no such thing as a special calling to prayer. Do you know why? Because it's for all of us, baby. It's for all of us. And, 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 it's, and it's actually essential to the daily part of what it means not to be a Christian. Not to be a Christian. It's, it's essential to the daily part of what it means to be a human being. This is why every culture prays. This is why even, as I was telling you the story last week, this is why even atheists pray. Told you the little story about reading the New York Times article recently written by an atheist who admits to regularly praying 
to a God he doesn't believe in. Why? <laughs> because there's something about prayer. It's not a special calling. It's not a gift. It is what it means to enter into deeply what it really is to be a person. Like a person. Here's what prayer is really about. Prayer is about becoming friends with God. If we can put our scripture back up this morning. I think this is probably my favorite part of this scripture. Look at verse 11. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Look at this little clause there. As one speaks to a friend. You can't ever, neither in the Old Testament nor in the New Testament, you can't ever talk about prayer you can't talk about meeting with God. You can't talk about experiencing the presence of God without simultaneously talk of, talking about friendship. This is God's ideal. Prayer is always about becoming friends with God. Here's the deal. It's actually not possible to become friends with God any other way. You'll never be God's friend. I'll never be God's friend until we take up prayer in a regular and a serious way. And so everything I wanted to say during this series has been pointed toward this reality. It's, it's this, that God's looking for friends. This is always his plan. God has always been looking for friends. Friendship with God oftentimes looks like prayer. Or to put it another way, friendship with God looks like a tent of meeting. Now I love this idea that scripture holds out to us. I love this idea of tent of meeting. It's an idea that the scripture hold out, holds out to us. And it's this idea that there's a time and a place given to one thing. It's this, this idea that, that people need a time and a place given to this one thing. And the one thing is to meet and to know God. Like We, we need this. To sit before the Almighty, uh, to talk plainly. You don't need special language. Uh, but then also to listen intently. Um, just this week. Just this week, I was spending, spending some time with my, my good friend, Stephen Oligus. He comes and hangs out with me usually on Friday mornings. And when we hang out, we talk about everything, we, just whatever, you know, how many houses he sold this week and whatever else we're doing. And we might talk about music or a little bit of this and that. But every time that Stephen and I hang out, we always spend time praying together. And what's really funny is most of what Stephen and I do when we spend time praying together is we, stand, we spend time sitting in the same room uh, li- trying to listen to God in absolute silence together. No, it's really funny how uh, two people can do this together and it's not awkward. Like when I'm explaining it to you, it sounds very awkward, right? Two adult men sa- sitting in an office with their eyes closed listening, mostly, right? Yeah. So Stephen and I, we spent about 12 minutes this week just listening, just being, not, not, even, not even trying to force any sort of an issue, not any sort of an issue at all. And when we were finished, I said, hey, Stephen, did, did you hear us anything? And of course, right away. What's really interesting is we sat there, and God was kind and gracious enough to us to not only come and be with us, but to make it that we were aware that he was with us. And then he began to speak to us about some stuff. Stephen got a vision, and it, it, was, it was a vision that was about us. And he didn't ask for a vision about us. He, got, he, saw, he saw this place, this room. And, he, and he, saw, he, he, saw, he saw the walls of it going wider and wider. Like the territories were getting stretched out, like wider and wider. He, did, he wasn't asking for any of that. And, and then I saw something, and I still don't even know what it means. I saw something really silly. I saw raspberry and orange sherbet. I saw someone scooping up raspberry and orange sherbet. 
What's funny is this, though. The presence of God was so tangibly with us, I know that God was showing me something. I still don't know what it means. Some of you are like, I don't know about that. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, I don't, well, God wouldn't do that. Like, if he were going to say something, he would make it plain, and he wouldn't talk about raspberry and orange sherbet. Oh, yeah, he would. Are you kidding? Do you guys ever talk to your friends about just silly stuff? Here's what I'm going to say. I have a feeling God is saying something. He's beginning to show me a little something, and in the next day or two, it'll make more sense. But God is not entirely serious. I don't know if you're aware of this, but seriousness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Anyway, I love this idea of tent of meeting. Like, that's what church is. Church is a kind of a tent of meeting. It is a time and a place where we could be together, and then God's Spirit comes, the cloud comes. Like, during worship, we're singing, and all things once sown in weakness, you raise and promise your beauty arches above it all. Like, the cloud just, like, right here we are. This, this is it. This is why we get here together, you know? We need this idea that we could talk to God that we could listen intently that we could encounter the cloud and the fire we like the thing that you and I need is we need to encounter the cloud and the fire then we need to encounter the one who lives inside of the cloud and the fire you know and that's what I want we need to experience glory and we need to fall in love and we need we need to like cry out from our being that God is wonderful so this is my hope for our church my hope is that we would be a tent of meeting people. That we'd be people who've had their hearts and their imaginations molded and formed by the goodness and the glory of God. See, everybody is going under some kind of a formation process. Everybody's going under is undergoing a formation process. And if you read Twitter or if you read Facebook, most of us have, have been mostly formed by cynicism and depression and anxiety. But what my hope is, my hope is that we would be a tent of meeting people, people who encounter the cloud and the fire, and that we would have our imaginations and our hearts formed by the goodness and the glory of God. See, what the world needs is it needs a people who have something other to say. What the world needs is a people who are speaking from elsewhere. What the world needs is a word from elsewhere. See, God is always coming from elsewhere. We need, we, need, we need to be people who are listening to a voice that's speaking from some other place. It's called tent of meeting. By far the most interesting piece of this, not only this passage, but just the narrative arc not only in Exodus, but in the scriptures, is this. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, and I want to share that with you again this morning, and then we're going to jump off of it, okay? By far the most interesting piece that this passage right here sets up for us is this idea. It goes like this. At the beginning of the book of Exodus, God is in heaven. At the beginning of, you can read this. At the beginning of the book of Exodus, God is in heaven. In Exodus chapter 19, God invites Moses to the top of the mountain and he speaks to him. 
gives him the law. This is where Moses gets the Ten Commandments. So God has gone from heaven to the top of the mountain. By the time you get to Exodus 33, you find that God is at the bottom of the mountain with everybody. And then by the time you get to Matthew chapter 1, you have Jesus who is God with us. And then by the time you get to Acts chapter 2, you have the Spirit being poured out and it is God inside of us. By far the most interesting thing to me in this grand narrative sweep, and you have to be a person who sees the Bible a little bit in order to catch this, it's this idea that God was never satisfied just living in heaven. And the truth is, God was never satisfied with a tent in the desert. The only thing he's ever dreamed about is living in me and you. And because of that, you and I are tents of meeting. When somebody puts their trust in Jesus, the Spirit comes and dwells. And what this passage was only a a shadow and a type of, what it was only hinting at, you and I have become the embodiment of that reality. I am a tent of meeting. It's stunning. I am a tent of meeting. You are a tent of meeting. Moses met God in a room made of animal skins and tear poles. See, what you are and what I am is what this tent was only hinting at. What you are and what I am are things that Moses never even dreamed of. And it's this idea that heaven and earth would meet and that they would share space. Out of heaven to a mountain, to the bottom of the mountain, with the people in the person of Jesus, in the people, by the Spirit, and then eventually, as Revelation says, in him. We're going somewhere. There's a direction to this thing. Here's what's the deal. Here's the thing. You can say whatever you want to about God, but you can never, ever miss this. He's a lover, and he's an intimate friend, and if, and if, there's, and if there's any distance between us and God, it's not on his side. The nature of God is, is radically different than the idea that most of us grew up with. He is a pursuer of people. He is a lover and a liker of people. And he is a friend to anyone who will turn even 1% of their heart towards him. If there's any separation, if there's any distance, it's on our side. And so what I want to talk to you this morning is this. I want to talk to you just for a few minutes about living as a tent of meeting. Living as a tent of meeting. I am a tent of meeting. I want you to say this with me. I am a tent of meeting. Here's what this means, to live as a tent of meeting. The first thing that it means is that intimacy is always possible. Intimacy with God is always possible. You were made for intimacy. You were not made to look at your Facebook. You were not made to look at your iPhone and check out. You were made to know and to be fully known. We were not made for escape. We were made to enter in. Here's the thing. You were made to know God. You were made to know God in the way that a man knows his wife, in a way that a woman knows her husband. You were made to know God. You have a capacity to know God. He has a heart and a desire to know you. And if he has taken up residence on the inside of you, and he has, it means that you are a tent of meeting, and that means that intimacy is always a possibility, even on your worst day. 
Even when you've basically ruined your life, you can still be an intimate friend of Jesus. In the very moment that you do the worst thing you've ever done, the next moment you could turn around and be an intimate friend to God because he is there. It's wonderful. See, here's the deal. It's always, always possible. And it doesn't matter where you're at. Location-wise, it doesn't even matter where you're at in your heart. Like, heart-wise. Does this make sense? Like, this tent right here was a movable thing. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a temple of meeting. It was the tent of meeting. Meaning we can take this tent up and we can move it, right? <laughs> you are a tent of meeting. It means everywhere you go, it is possible to live intimately with God. Wherever you're at in the globe, wherever you're at in your life, wherever you're at uh, in, uh, in your career, wherever you're at age-wise, if you've just been born, if you're about to die, you can know God. And you can know Him intimately. With your watch, washing the dishes, uh, if, how many of you have ever read uh, Practicing the Presence by Brother Lawrence, right? Uh, Brother, Lawrence, Brother Lawrence began to awaken to the reality of God's presence while washing dishes. Listen, it doesn't matter where you're at. You can be an intimate friend with Jesus while washing the dishes. I can't tell you how many times God and I have met. Just, I'm just there with about you know, elbow deep in dirty dishwater, and I talk, talk to the Lord. I, you know, a time and a place to know God is really, really important. It's part of what we've been talking about here these last few weeks. But you actually, at times, don't need a time or a place because you are a tent of meeting, and you can enter into that. In the car, in the shower, washing dishes. How many of you have heard God talk to you while you're in the shower? If you haven't, you need to try. He's there. On the mower. Like, if you're going to mow grass, you might as well listen to God. Turn a useless endeavor into something wonderful. Turn, turn a fruitless hour into something that might change your life. During a movie. How many of you have been watching a movie and hearing God? Yeah, why? He's there. And you can be his intimate friend. Uh, here's the deal. God probably actually likes Mission Impossible. I don't, but he probably likes it. And he, he might have something to say about it. He, he might even say, this is a cool movie. I kind of like it. Look, that's my guy. I knew he was going to take his face off, you know? <laughs> at dinner, how many of you have been at dinner with friends and, and heard God? How many of you have heard God at dinner with friends even when someone wasn't talking about God and didn't intend to bring him up, but the words they said penetrated your heart and you're like, oh my gosh, this sounds like my friend Jesus here. Did somebody just talk? Did someone mention Jesus? So you can live as an intimate friend. Why? You're a tent of meeting. Not only that, but everybody you're ever going to meet is a tent of meeting. No, they may be housing the good. They may be housing the Holy Spirit or some other devil, but they're a tent of meeting, and something's on the inside animating this stuff. Are you kidding me? It means you can be intimate friends with God when you're totally alone. Second thing it means to live as a tent of meeting is that you have access to God, that He's never far away. He's always with me. He's always with me. Why don't you say that? He's always with me. This is essentially the spiritual life. I sometimes try to reduce down. What is the spiritual life? The spiritual life is this. Waking up to the fact that he's always with me. Spiritual people are people who are aware that God is always with them. That's what, that's what they are. Uh, every thought, every feeling, every notion or conviction that we ever had that God is far away is utterly false and a manifestation of how the demonic works. God has never, ever, ever, even for one moment when you were not, even when, you, even when you didn't know Jesus or even like him, God was not away from you. He was right there with you. He has never, ever, 
been away from you. These ideas of like separation from God, that sin separates people from God, actually totally false. Totally false. Adam and Eve in the garden, they sin. And who's in the garden with them? God comes looking for them. Try your theology on for this one. Adam and Eve sin, and God comes and chases them down. And we've grown up with the idea that when I sin, God runs away from me and doesn't like me. Here is the spiritual life, waking up to the fact that God has never, ever been far away from you. It means that we always have access from God. Now, some people are saying, well, is Adam, Pastor Adam saying it's okay to sin? Like, come on. It'll ruin your life. It'll ruin your life. But it'll, here's the deal. This is how sin works. Sin ruins your life, not because it makes God angry and he punches you. Sin ruins your life because it doesn't work. I love what Richard Rohr says. Sin is what doesn't work. Have sex with a lot of people and then come back and tell me how that works out for you. You'll have six or eight babies that you didn't plan on and you might end up with a disease that you didn't count on and you absolutely will have broken relationships. You can bank on that, right? Sin is what doesn't work. Sin is not what makes God angry. It's not like he has this arbitrary list. Well, these are the things that I really enjoy, and these other things over here I don't enjoy. And if you get into, and by the way, you love these lists, this one over here. And if you do these, then I'm going to just punch you. No, sin is what doesn't work. Anyway, so every thought, feeling, or notion that we ever had that God was far away from us is utterly false and by the way what that means is this that victory is almost always in our thought life victory and defeat are almost always between the ears this is why Paul says that you have to take every thought captive every thought that says God's far away and doesn't like you you have to take that one captive put it in prison throw the key away David says in the Psalms where can I go to escape your presence nowhere David says even if I make my Even if I make my bed in Sheol, which is like Old Testament hell, there you are with me. Let's do this for a minute. Even if you make your bed in Old Testament hell, even if you make your bed in New Testament hell, whatever that is, you can't escape him. God is this, he's he's the immovable object in all of the universe. Everybody's going to run into him. Like, you can't get away from him. Here, I've got this little notion. I'm not saying, this is just Pastor Adam's opinion. This isn't like sound doctrine, but it might be. <laughs> I've had this notion. What if, what if, what if, let's just say possibly. What if, what if Pentecost, Holy Spirit fire in Acts chapter 2 is the same thing of uh, a judgment fire at the end? What if it's all God and it's just our response to it? Like you can't avoid him. What if we thought, what if we thought all the bad stuff was some other place and, uh, and ultimately it's just a million, maybe a billion, maybe a trillion tiny little decisions that we made to either love God or not? Could be. Where can I go to escape his presence? Nowhere. I have access to God and I have access to peace. This is what this means. If I have access to God, it means I have access to peace. I have access to love, joy, and patience. Those things are always available, but they are always relational. They're relational to God. To the degree that I'm dealing with God is the degree to which he is near, and all of those things are near. You can't find peace until you're willing to deal with God. You'll never find 
acceptance. You'll never have a satisfied heart until you begin to deal with God. All the stuff you're looking for is relational. It's not transactional. And this is the really good news. All of the access is on the front end. See, we don't pray so that we can get access. We pray because we have access already, and prayer is ultimately a discovery of what we already have. The, the third thing that it means to live as a tent of meeting is that God has access to me. It means I have access to him, but it ultimately means that God has access to me. Uh, my life is never my own. My day is never totally my day. Uh, there's a sense in which things are fluid and God just might want to do something, uh, something new that I wasn't planning. What this ultimately means is, is that if you're going to be a tent of meeting, get ready to be inconvenienced. God has access to me. I'm not the boss of my day totally. For instance, two weeks ago, I got to pray with this guy who was at my store, had a brain tumor. Now, he doesn't know I'm a pastor. I've never seen this guy before. He doesn't know know that I'm even a Christian. He didn't come to my store because I was a pastor, and he didn't come to my store looking for Christians. Christians came to my store because he was in pain and his head was about to come off of his shoulders because he has a tumor in the middle of it. And I begin to talk to him for a second. Then the store clears out and it's just me and him. And this little voice on the inside says, you better pray for him. (laughs) And I'm I'm like, I don't even know this guy. He's like from Marion County and I don't know him, you know. (laughs) This is sort of the internal dialogue. I'm like, I don't want to pray for him. He, He looks... He looks a little bit scary, and he's, I don't know him, and he's probably a devil worshiper. You know, it's like, you know, all the things that you begin to think. None of them are true, but, you know, just victory and defeat are where? They're mostly right here. And so I just, this little voice, you better pray for him, pray for him. Pray. You know, I'm like, I don't want to, this guy's a creeper, he's dead anyway. That's then, I'm, then I go to the, he's going to die anyway, right? And then I hear this voice, you got to pray for him. Everybody's like, it's great to be a tent of meeting until God begins to like exercise his access over you, right? <laughs> I'm like, fine. And I look at the guy, I said, hey, you've got a tumor and you're going to die, right? He's like, I've got a tumor and I'm going to die. I'm like, how long are they going to give you? And he said, two months at best. I said, well, what all have you tried? He's like, everything. I'm like, is anybody like put their hands on your head and prayed. He's like, no. I'm like, you care if I do it? He's like, I'd love for you to. Okay, no, look. Here's the thing. I've prayed not for hundreds of people, you guys. I've prayed for thousands of people. And a lot of them have been these very awkward interactions just like I'm having with this guy in public spaces. And I can count, I can count the number of people on one hand who have ever told me no to prayer. There's, but there's still an internal like war dialogue going on, right? I'm like, well, hey, do you, do you care if I come around there where you are? Do you care if I just put both my hands on your head? He's like, I don't care. There's a, death has a way of focusing all of your attention and the externals go away. Let's put, put my hands right on this guy's head. And we just began to pray together. Now, what was funny is this guy comes from a tradition 
I don't even know if he knew God, maybe. But anyway, he comes from a place where he doesn't know the things you're supposed to do, you know? He didn't know that he was supposed to shut up and I'm supposed to pray, right? So I start praying, God, would you come? We need your help, Holy Spirit. And he's like, help me, Lord, help me. He's just, and then I, I start laughing because it's just, this guy doesn't know what to do, and it's just really great. And by the end, he and I are both yelling in my store, help me, Lord. <laughs> Now, what's amazing is, what's amazing, this guy's head gets hot, like just instantly. And it wasn't just because my hands were on him. My hands were cold as ice. But this guy's head gets hot. Now, is he, is he still alive? I assume so. Is he going to die? I don't know. But what I know is, God has access to me. My day is not my own. And, and you have to listen to the little annoying voice on the inside who wants you to take risks with people because God loves them. They're attentive meeting. And it's not just I'm attentive meeting, they're attentive meeting. It means God has access to my day. When, it, when God has access to your day, uh, being attentive meeting also means that you end up being a servant to the world. See, Moses entered the tent... He encountered God, he saw him face to face, and they were friends. And, and there is a section of the charismatic church that camps there and wants to have encounters and wants to talk about revelation and wants to talk about meeting with God. But having revelation, having encounters, and meeting with God was never the end in and of itself. It's always, always, always connected back to serving the world. Always. See, the temptation goes like this. There's always a temptation. It depends on which kind of person you are. Um, most of us are one of these two. The temptation is to serve without prayer or to pray without serving. But if you want to be a, a real tent of meaning person, the two go together. You cannot get in a prayer room. You cannot lock yourself in your prayer closet for the rest of your life and pray and have meetings with God and encounters and revelation without going out and actually being useful to someone. If you do, I don't want to hear about what you have seen or heard in God. At the same time, if you're going to go out and serve people, you better be praying because you're going to meet stuff that you don't have any answers for. The two go together. Moses had the most dramatic encounters that anyone ever had on the planet, and he was also the biggest servant says that Moses was the most humble man in the world, and he, he was the leader, he was the leader of Israel. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, well, Moses was the leader. Yeah, leadership is service. You don't, you don't, if, you don't if you don't believe me, uh, start leading some people. Leadership is not sexy in any sphere, but especially in the church. People are difficult, and eventually you have to begin to get underneath people who are difficult and, and help them and serve them and, and you always get down there where they're at and you, you roll around and, and if you're going to do that you need to be a prayer person you have to be a prayer person and if you're a prayer person you have to go get with people if you're going to be attentive meeting you, you gotta you gotta serve it's Mary leading to Martha And finally, at least in portion, what it means to be a tent of meeting is it means I get to enjoy God. It means I get to enjoy Him. I get to, I get to love God. See, if He's living in me, and He is, 
then part of what that means is that the creator of the universe is here. He's in me. And then my, then it, 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 the thing that means is that my connection to the creator of the universe, to the power that spoke everything into existence, is dramatically intimate. See, the scripture says that God lives in me. I don't even understand totally what that means, even though I've experienced it. It is at such a seamless and deep level that it means that the power who spoke the universe into existence is in me. If that's true, then my connection to God is intimate. And if there's intimacy, there's always enjoyment. Wherever there's intimacy, there's always enjoyment. Part of what it means to live as a tent of meeting is it, it means I get to enjoy God. I'm, I'm not just serving Him, I'm enjoying Him. It means He makes me happy. It means, it means that my ultimate place of happiness is coming from God and not even at a subconscious level but I'm talking about at a conscious aware level God makes me happy the first question in the Westminster short catechism is this what is the chief end of man the answer is this man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him not to serve him it's really important here is service important yeah if yeah you'll serve God but the chief end the reason you're here was never to serve God God didn't need help the chief end of man is to, is to glorify him, but to enjoy him, to get your pleasure from him. There's always enjoyment around intimacy. See, you, you were made for love. You were born out of love, but you were made for love. You were made to know it. And you were made to know not just love in some abstract form, not in some philosophical way. You were made to know the love of God. And when a, when a person experiences divine love, everything else Everything else pales. Part of what it means to be a tent of meeting is this, that, that, that at times uh, ecstasy is a part of knowing God. And this is not something we even talk about all that much, but I, I need you to know this. Part of what it means to be a Christian is to experience the ecstasy, and I mean ecstasy of knowing God. I mean the high, I mean the drunkenness, I mean the 15 Budweiser's in to knowing God. Some people are like, that wasn't a very nice metaphor. It's a perfect metaphor. Until you've been slammed on the floor by divine love, until you have had everything in your heart shattered by the fact that the goodness of God has come and taken up residence, even in your worst moment, you have not yet fully experienced the God of wonders and universe. He's wonderful. He's made to be enjoyed. We're here because he enjoyed something more. We are here. He, we were born out of love. We were made to know love. And part of the word we got to get to is ecstasy. Ecstasy, like bliss. There has to be bliss. And here's the deal. The bliss is not tomorrow. It can be today. 
Some people get very uncomfortable when we start talking about the bliss of knowing God. And let me tell you, when people start getting touched by the bliss of knowing God, when people start getting touched by ecstasy, when people start getting touched by, by the, part, the pleasures of knowing God, it looks crazy. <laughs> and it's awesome. It's awesome. There are, listen, and you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. You can't have the ecstasy without the insanity. And we're not saying we want insanity for insanity's sake, but we are saying we want the ecstasy and the pure pleasures of knowing God. Everything else has to serve that. Has to serve that. It's the pleasures of knowing him. It's the pleasures of knowing him. What this means is this. I'm attentive meeting. It means that ecstasy is always an option for me. I want to read a passage to you. This is something else. This is Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to read this to you. You can just listen. Starting in verse 7, Paul says this. He says, now the old way, meaning the old covenant, he says, the old way with the laws etched in stone led to death though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though, the, uh, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving us life? If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? I mean, come on. This is really good. In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all. This is what Paul says. The first glory, the one that made Moses' face radiate right here in the tent of meeting, was not glorious at all. Was not glorious at all with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which will remain forever? See, Part of what it means to be attentive meeting is it means to enjoy God. It means that ecstasy is an option. About four months ago, I don't know if it was four months ago, I'm just making that up. <laughs> four or five months ago, during worship, I was up here. Everything in me said, get on the floor. I said, I don't want to get on the floor. I'm, 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 everybody's here. Everything in me said, lay on the floor. I'm like, but I don't want to. I'm up on the front row. And everybody's here. So I laid in the floor. And I laid in the floor because... The love of God was coming through my body. Like, you, you got to know this at some point. Like, the love of God is not an abstract idea. The love of God is a manifest reality that if you're a believer in Jesus, you have access to right now, which means you can enjoy him, you can know him, and you can get 15 Budweiser's deep any day of the week, and you might lay on the floor. How many of you have ever had too much to drink, too much to drink when, before you knew Jesus, and you, you had to lay on the floor? Some of you are very uncomfortable with this conversation. <laughs> Paul says this. Paul says, don't get drunk. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. But what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Listen. There are biblically legitimate options. 
No, I'm, listen, you need, we need this. Part of what we need is this. And, and the more uncomfortable we are with it, the more you need it. You need it. Paul says, don't get, don't get drunk on wine. It'll lead to debauchery. You'll ruin your life. But he doesn't say, don't get drunk. Let that sink in. See, here's the deal. For believers, getting drunk is not the problem. The problem is, what are you getting drunk on? What are you getting overwhelmed with? What are you getting so filled with? What is the source of your inebriation? Where is it coming from? Some people are like, this is crazy. I'm never coming back to this church. I'm telling you, you're the ones I'm talking to the most. You need this. You need this. You need to be overcome with the joy of knowing it's possible. You're a tent of meeting. In Exodus 33, it says, Moses went into the tent of meeting and a cloud came down. Let me tell you, you got to go into the cloud. You got to go into the fire. You got to go into that spot. Listen, and, and Paul says here in 2 Corinthians that everything we've been reading for the past four weeks, that it was the old glory and it was, and it was no glory compared to what that, that which has come. Come on. There's some good stuff living on the inside. It means we're intimately connected to it, intimately connected to it. You couldn't divide it out of you if you wanted to. And we are living into, we've been connected into the very vein of life, the very joy of God. When God was creating the universe, he did it happily. Uh, C.S. Lewis says that he sang the universe into existence. He sang the universe. He didn't speak it. He sang the universe into existence, meaning that God is happy. He is full of joy. He is full of life. He was not one bit angry when he created anything. And we've got that happy singing of the universe God living on the inside. We are intimately connected to it. If you get awake a little bit, you might go really, really off of your rocker. Let me tell you another story. I mean, you might lay on the floor. Baptists hate, about, hate hearing about laying in the floor. You need to lay in the floor occasionally. <laughs> See, you just got to. Man, when I get in here, this is the stuff that starts, oh, man, I'll just ruin this church. Oh, I just, I, I just feel, start to feel the Lord here a little more. See, the Bible says, be, yeah. Some of you are like, what's going on? Listen, we may just be getting cranked up. I don't know. I'll tell you another story. Two years ago at my birthday party, I invited about 50 guys over. And we cooked meat on a fire. Massive amount of meat on a fire. We had... We had, I don't even know, Heather went, to, Heather went to Kroger and she had them cut steaks that were, I'm not joking, four inches thick. And we're cooking them on the fire and we're chilling and we cook bratwurst and we're hanging out and we're eating and we're having a good time. And then at some point someone says, well, it's your birthday, we should pray for you. <laughs> and they began to pray for me. And at my birthday, in front of my 50 best friends, I hit the ground and I rolled in the dirt like an idiot. And then the next thing I know, Josh is rolling in the dirt next to me. Or somebody was. I don't know who. Somebody was rolling in the dirt next to me. And you think, well, what is that about? The joy of Jesus hit my birthday party. It's wonderful. 
It's absolutely, absolutely wonderful. I'll tell you another story. I'll tell you another story. John Wesley. See, this is stuff that's been going on. Y'all think this, like, some of us think, well, this is like just some new American modern version of charismania. No, hogwash. Listen, it started in Acts chapter 2. The tent of meeting showed up in Acts chapter 2. Uh, by the way, they th- everybody thought that they were drunk. See, there's just this theme. Knowing God is ecstasy. There's an aspect of knowing God that it's like, it's like having too much to drink. You just kind of lose it. You lose all your inhibitions. Acts chapter 2, they come out, everybody thinks they're drunk. Acts chapter 10, at Cornelius' house. At Cornelius' house, Paul, Peter starts preaching, and they get filled with the Holy Spirit. And then some people are like, well, that was just, like, that was just for the apostolic move, and that all went away. Hogwash. John Wesley... John Wesley, now we're talking 1700s, and how many of you understand that in the 1700s, like, things were a bit more uptight? John Wesley, without a Facebook, without an Instagram, without a cell phone, without a computer, rode 20,000 miles on horseback through through the Americas, bringing revival everywhere he went, and everywhere the man went, whether he wanted to or not, people got Thunderstruck. Now, how many of you understand that thunderstruck is 1700s code language for body slammed with the love of God? Yeah, Whitfield once wrote to Wesley, he says, he says, do the happenings continue? See, everybody was, everybody was upset with the language. Do the happenings continue? Wesley wrote him back. They do. <laughs> Everywhere. Why? Because America woke up to the love of God. On the end, you are a tent of meeting. There, there's an aspect of ecstasy that comes from knowing God. It is not about right doctrine. Like, I believe in right doctrine. I probably read as many books as anybody in here. It is not about right doctrine. Right doctrine will not save you. Your right beliefs will not save you. Jesus saves you, and he's on the inside, and it is wonderful. It is wonderful. In your worst moment, you're connected to the goodness and the glory of God. See, when divine divine love wrecks your soul, it rearranges all the furniture. And one of the things we need is we need the furniture rearranged. Not once, you need it rearranged a lot. If you're going to do the thing that you're really called to do, be the person you're really called to be, you need to have divine love, the tornado of divine love, come in and ruin your house a lot. Sometimes we get things so, we get things so like organized. Got systematic theology for this. Got an answer for that. Got this figured out. Got the kids program worked out real good. And then the tornado of God's love comes in and just throws everything against the wall. It's wonderful. How many of you remember when you first fell in love? Like with another person? How many of you remember that, those days when you would, you would be on the phone with the person that you first fell in love with and you would be on the phone... And you just, you'd be on the phone for so long, you'd be like, are you still there? Yeah. You still there? Yeah. Like, you're not even talking anymore. You're just hanging on the phone. You remember, like, just the endorphins and everything that just surrounds all of that? I'm here to tell you the good news of the gospel is there is more than that available. 
available. I, I'll just, I'm going to tell y'all another story or two. Your pastor has, on many occasions, looked like an absolute raving lunatic because God is good. There was a time in the mid-90s where we just called it carpet time. You just, you, you got carpet time. Mm-hmm. I once saw a woman get so overcome with the Holy Spirit, so overcome with the love of God, that she became what we might call Holy Spirit inebriated. She went out to get in her car and got arrested by a cop. And it took her 20 minutes to convince the cop that she was not drunk on wine, but she was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. I'm just saying here, I would like to make a kingdom proclamation. It is available if you want it. It's available. Some of us are thinking, well, I don't want to look like an idiot. It's cool. You don't have to. I mean, it's better. I've done both. I've done socially responsible, and I've done, uh, I've done uh, Holy Spirit intoxicated irresponsible. Holy Spirit intoxicated irresponsible is way more fun than socially responsible. I've done both. What are people going to think? I don't know. People are already thinking. I mean, <laughs> let's, just, let's just get that. You know what I mean? People already think. Here's the deal. There, uh, let me, Pastor Adam's going to break off something else here for you a second. Right now, in Taylor County, there are people who don't like you. <laughs> and they already think bad things of you. And there are other people who do like you and think really great things of you. And even if you fall stark raving mad in love with God, ain't much going to change. Yeah. I've done both. I like this one over here. I, and this is not something we talk about that much, but we need, we need to talk about this. There is a possibility in life with God. Uh, life with God is not mostly gritting our teeth. Life with God is not reading boring Bible studies and doing boring prayer meetings and then eventually dying and not going to hell. Life with God is oftentimes pure joy. I need to tell you the other side of the ball. Uh, is there going to be crucifixion and resurrection? You better believe it. Are there going to be hard times you can pick up a cross? You better believe it. The thing that makes it possible is getting plugged in to something way bigger. Way bigger. I just got a smile. I, I, I don't know. I feel the Lord. Y'all feel the Lord? I feel the Lord. I mean, I feel capital J Jesus in here. You know? Man, I may have to do, man, can I do one high kick? We just kind of need to. Sometimes you got to. Man, I'll tell you. Yeah, I'm going to. Like, sometimes I just, I, like, some of y'all are thinking, well, Pastor Adam, he's just like doing a showman thing now. No, I'm telling you, sometimes when I feel the love of God, I just got to. You know, it's just good. I like, I feel it on the inside. Salvation is not here. It'll eventually get there. Salvation is here. You know, and Jesus said you'll have like rivers of living water coming out of you. <laughs> See, one of the things we've been doing is we've been asking for the rivers of living water to come in. No, they come out. <laughs> I don't know. It's here. Like, does this make sense? 
It's only making sense for about 60% of us. But if you just go with it, you know, you just got to go with it. It comes out. Like we've been asking for what we've already got. I mean, that's, the, that's my issue with the charismatic church. It's like, God, would you give a... Jesus said in John chapter 7, rivers of living water will come out of you. If they're coming out, you've already got it. Come on. Like, just go ahead and be happy. Let's just be happy. Let's be, why don't we do this? Why don't y'all stand up and let's just wait on the Lord here for a second. If you want to get happy, you can get happy. If you want to get depressed, you can get depressed. It's happy is better. If you're scared and you need to leave, you can. I'm just kidding. Like, whatever. Uh, people in Taylor County already think some of y'all are nuts. And whether you get filled with God's Holy Spirit or not, it ain't going to change a thing. Yeah, let's just wait on the Lord. Tent of meeting. Lord, we just declared this church is tent of meeting. Whoa. We asked for the fire and we asked for the cloud. God, we said, we just, God, we declare, we want to live in the reality of what Paul says. God, if the old covenant had glory, the new covenant has more glory. God, we ask that you would reveal the more glory. God, we ask that people could feel the ecstasy of knowing you. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is the goodness of God. This is the goodness of the gospel. At your worst, God loved you and sent his son. That's glorious. That's amazing. That'll get you half whacked. Man, wow. Man, I am light. I'm feeling light in my body. It's so good. And just so you know, just so you know, you don't have to do anything to enjoy God. Some of you can totally enjoy God and feel the ecstasy of his love and be quiet as a mouse. But if you, I will tell you this though, shouting is not more annoying, it's just more fun. It's, you know, whatever. Woo, isn't it good? Now, now we just do the vineyard prayer. This is the vineyard prayer. More, Lord. We just, it's just, why do you pray for more if you've already got it? Just, I don't know. I literally don't know. Yeah, Lord, we ask for the river of your love. God, we ask for those biblically legitimate alternatives to inebriation. God, we ask that, that the fullness of the Holy Spirit would overtake our hearts and our lives. Mm. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you're on the ministry team, come on up quickly come up and if you just want prayer if you're feeling the lord a little bit have these people pray for you you'll feel more that'll be great otherwise give somebody a high five and a hug <laughs> whoa high five and a hug uh the mass is ended go in peace wow feel the lord thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the vineyard church in campbellsville kentucky if you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the vineyard you can follow us on facebook twitter or instagram Until next time, peace.
peace to you.